Well, it is Palm Sunday, and if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, it's all about uh, the beginning of Holy Week. It's, it's this uh, time when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and he's riding a donkey, and many of the people of Jerusalem, at least those who were excited about Jesus, it's one of those things that's funny. I've gone through so many Palm Sunday services where like we glorify and we magnify like this reality that people were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. I don't know if there was a single person in that crowd that yelled Hosanna for the right reason. They all thought Jesus was coming in and he was going to take out the Romans and he was going to wipe out this, uh, these people that were oppressing the Jewish people, just like all the other judges had done. They wanted an immediate and physical kingdom to arrive. And so they yelled, Hosanna! And yet, a week later, because he didn't bring what they wanted, because they didn't get what they wanted, they yelled, kill him, crucify him. And to me, that's so eye-opening as we look at that reality and we think, man, I don't know about you, but how many times have we yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, it's the Lord, save me from my bad decisions, save me from all the things, the problems I've created. And then God doesn't necessarily save us from all of our decisions and we say, wow, forget you then, God, you didn't do what I wanted. And so as you focus, uh, this is what uh, beginning of what uh, many people call Holy Week. It's the beginning of this week uh, where hopefully you're focusing on uh, the time Jesus spends in Jerusalem when he comes to Jerusalem and when he, uh, well, one of the things he does is he clears the temple out in in his week there and uh, he causes a little bit of a ruckus as he he preaches uh, a message so vastly different from what many of the Jewish people understood. Instead of legalism, instead of laws, instead of rules, he preaches relationship. He preaches righteousness and a humble disposition before God. And so uh, I, I pray this week as you think through Holy Week, I encourage you to, to jump in, do, do a Bible reading plan on Holy Week, do um, you know, your own scriptural dive into the scriptures this week about it. Um, spend more, I would encourage you to spend some extra time in worship and prayer as you prepare to celebrate Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday. We'll celebrate next Sunday. Uh, and uh, honestly, uh, if you can make it to the Tenebrae service, I encourage you to do that as well because for me, it really does help me prepare my heart for celebrating Resurrection Sunday because it's really hard to fully celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday without understanding the weight of what occurs the, the night Jesus uh, dies on the cross. When, when Jesus gives his life for us, it was a heavy moment. It was a spiritually significant and heavy uh, day it was the day where sin, the power of sin was broken. And so um, what a powerful week that's coming up. And I, and I hope and pray that you will take uh, as much advantage of this week as you possibly can. But uh, we are continuing in our On Purpose series. We've spent the last five weeks talking about living on purpose. I don't know about you, but for me, uh, I can do a lot of things on autopilot. I can live kind of accidentally or not intentionally, and, and I can go through life at times living uh, reactively instead of proactively. But we've talked uh, the last five weeks about living on purpose. We've talked about this because each and every single one of us has been created on purpose 
and for a purpose. Both of those statements hold incredible significance for each and every one of us here this morning and anybody watching this morning as well. Over the last five weeks, we've looked at four different, very specific areas that God has entrusted stewardship to us in. We've discussed how we have the time we have on purpose and for a purpose. We have the talents we have on purpose and for a purpose. We have the treasure we have on purpose and for a purpose. And we have the temple we have on purpose and for a purpose. A few questions I have for us this morning. First one is, how much clarity do we have on our purpose? How many of us this morning sit here and say, man, I am fully aware of my purpose before my Creator. I know exactly why Jesus made me the way He made me. I know why He gave me the interests He gave me, the passions He's given me, the skills He's given me. I am fully aware of why and what He wants for me to do. Now, I don't need to raise your hands on that because I know the answer. Many of us don't. We don't have tremendous clarity on that. We know we're supposed to do something. Uh, and for some of us, we have uh, minimized that calling to basically church. We've said, well, God's called me to go to church. That's it. I go. I spend an hour, maybe an hour and a half if the pastor can't you know, keep it brief, and then I go home. And that's what I've been called to do. How many of you, when, again, you don't need to raise your hands, do you believe that you even have a specific purpose. We've spent five weeks in this series talking all about specific purpose, but do you believe? I I want you to wrestle with that question this morning of, do I actually believe I have a specific calling in my life? Or do you feel your purpose, like every other Christian, is just to do good? So many believers have minimize their calling to this very simplistic, just do good. The, uh, that the idea of being a Christian is basically don't mess up too much. Try to keep the mess ups uh, to a minimum. Um, certainly make it look like you always have it all together. Uh, uh, definitely don't let people know that you messed up and just try to skate through life without making Jesus too angry. Uh, a lot of that, I think, has to do with how we view our earthly fathers, or maybe our relationship with our earthly father. Uh, I know in my house, a lot of times it was just try not to get dad angry. Um, that was the goal of every day, is to not get dad upset. And then we've kind of taken that into our Christianity, and we've said, uh, my purpose, my calling is to not make God too angry with me. And if he is angry, then I fully expect retribution. And we look, forward, we look for how God's going to punish us if we do something bad. And that's about as much clarity as we've ever had on our purpose. And again, we've spent five weeks talking about how small that idea of being a Christian is, how God has so much more for us as believers. He's called us into so much more. I believe the Scriptures make it very, very clear that we all have a general purpose or a general calling. 
to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's our calling. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. If you want to follow along in your own copy of God's Word, that's awesome. It'll also be on the screen. But if you want to follow along in our translation, we're, just, we're going from the New Living. So Matthew 20, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hopefully, you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. Um, If this was news to you this morning, uh, we have a lot to talk about. But uh, for most of us, we probably know that this Scripture exists. We've heard this talked about before. We know the general calling is to go. Go and make disciples. Jesus could not have been more clear on our general purpose or our general calling. Yet it's amazing how few Christians actually take this seriously. We read this scripture over and over, and I've preached on it dozens of times. This has come up dozens of times in, in, our, in our sermons since I've been here. And yet I'm still amazed at how few believers take this seriously. We read it and say, yeah, that's a good idea if you're a paid clergy person. That's a good idea if you've gone to Bible college. And we kind of say, we kind of excuse ourselves from this scripture, from this command. Uh, And I want to remind us, this is not like the great suggestion. Uh, This is Jesus' great commission to us. We've been commissioned to do this. If you know Jesus, this is your commission. This is our commission. Many Christians will say, well, no, I haven't ever made disciples, but I'm not a bad person. I've heard, I've had that conversation. You know, no, I've never really made disciples, but uh, I'm a pretty good person. And I, we have to then have the conversation of, well, did Jesus just call us to be good people? I, I don't think the, good, the great commission is to go out and be a good person. Uh, anybody can be a good person. Even if you're not a Christian, you can do good stuff. But to be a believer is to be about what God wants us to be about, is to do what He's commanded us to do. If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then we follow His lead. He tells us to do something, we do exactly that. That's part of being a believer. To live in deliberate disobedience to God is called what? Sin. Okay, we're tracking. We're on the same page. To live in direct disobedience to Jesus, to God, is sin. I want to look at two different type of people this morning. The first one attends church religiously. They're very good. They they rarely, if ever, miss a, a, a Sunday, but they don't make disciples. And then I want to look at a second person, one who attends church very well. Maybe they miss a few extra Sundays here and there. But they're guilty of one of the sins that church people don't approve of, like having sex outside of marriage. That's our second person. What do these both have in common, and what do they have that is different? What is different in them? What they have in common, what I want to talk about this morning, is they're both living a lifestyle of sin. 
Now, you've probably heard that term. If you've been around the church long enough, you've heard this term of like, well, they're living a lifestyle of sin. And we, we kind of categorize sins into different things. We have like, oh, the sins that you commit when it's like a one-off sin. And then we have the lifestyle sins. Like if, you know, two people are living together, they're not married, they're having sex outside of marriage. Well, okay, that's a lifestyle of sin. So these both have that in common. The difference is the one not making disciples who attends church is guilty of the sin of omission, while the one having sex outside of marriage is guilty of the sin of commission. These are two topics I don't know if you've ever heard talked about, but both of these lifestyles are in direct disobedience to God, complete disobedience to God. We need, as the church, to quit acting like the people who dress the part, know all the right words, have attended church for years, and just they're that, that sweet person that attends church, yet makes no disciples is in any way better than the broken people weeping in their seats because of their sin. For too long, the church has given a pass to the sins of omission and saying, well, as long as it doesn't look too bad, we're okay with that. Because you're not committing any sins that make us look bad. We're just going to be okay with that. And, and I very carefully said this morning, uh, you know, the second person we're talking about is somebody who has committed sins, uh, committing a sin that the church doesn't approve of. Because in reality, for a long time, the church has been basically okay with a lot of sins. Uh, and some of those are sins of omission. By simply omitting something from our life, like the Great Commission, we are, as believers, called to go and make disciples. And if today we can't sit here and say, these are my disciples. I've discipled these people, and I've been a part of this. I've been a part of making disciples both here, there, and everywhere. Uh, I've been engaged in this process. If all we can say is, you know, I, I think I taught a class back in the day. Uh, you know, I try to lead a good example. And that's not what Jesus' great commission was. It was to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that is what we are to be about. This uh, picture of Christianity was always meant to be this exponential growth as each of us make disciples and we, we make our lives about making disciples. That's why Christianity grew so tremendously in the early age because they took this very, very seriously. Their life was about making disciples. I think I told you a couple weeks ago, I was reading a book, and one of the things he talked about in this book was uh, this idea that uh, the early church, one of the, the biggest things in the early church, you can strip all the other stuff away that they were doing, the one thing that really changed the world was community. They gathered together often. They shared their lives together. They refused to compartmentalize their belief system. In their minds, that was impossible because Jesus got everything. He was in charge of all of it, and so he had to be a part of all of it. And so they, they lived their lives together, and people wanted to be a part of this community called Christianity. They wanted to be one of the little Christ, the Christians, and because it was so attractive, because they loved each other, and, and through those relationships, that's how discipleship happens. It's impossible to disciple somebody without having a relationship. If, if it doesn't have a relationship, that's not discipleship. That's, you can call it teaching. You can call it instructing. Uh, you can call it whatever you want, but it's not discipleship. But Jesus very clearly demonstrated discipleship. He, he walked with his disciples. He spent time with them. They cried together. They laughed together. They journeyed together. They struggled together. And they got to see him live out 
all these different scenarios. They got to see him attacked by Pharisees. They got to see him uh, broken as a friend uh, that he dearly loved died. They got to see him heal people. They got to see him minister to people. They saw all of this. And then they changed the world because they were his disciples. And Jesus has called us to the same thing. And he's, when he said, make disciples, man, they knew exactly what he was talking about. He was saying, share your lives with people in a way that changes them, to build community that people want to be a part of. Uh, I think if, if you've watched uh, The Chosen, uh, I think oh, as they're building in the second season toward the end of that, and, and he's building toward the Sermon on the Mount, um, you begin to see, you get this idea, people want to be a part of his crew. Like, they want to be one of Jesus' disciples. Why? Because it was amazing. Because were, things were happening. God was doing stuff. There was a power there. And many believers have never experienced that. They've never shared their lives with others in a way that created community. They've never been a part of actual discipleship. Many of us, uh, we've been a part of aspects of discipleship. And I would, um, conversation for another day, but I would argue, you know, teaching a class or doing something like that, it's just an aspect of discipleship. It is not discipleship in and of itself. Uh, we need to go beyond that. We need to share our lives and our homes and, and, and other stuff with people. We need to share our whole life with others in a way that, that, that transforms them and brings them along on their journey toward Christ. We need to make disciples. And for too long, the church has basically given a pass on this discipleship process. We've uh, given away, uh, we'll talk about this uh, in a few weeks, but we've given away this proxy. So uh, I, I don't want to get too much into this this morning, but uh, part of our uh, political structure in our country is basically we, we elect people who do things for us. We give away our uh, rights in a little way that we give this proxy to people, and, and we call them Congress, we call them President, you know, we, we put these names on them, and, and they basically are making decisions on our behalf. Uh, many times, uh, people are upset because the, the representatives that we've elected don't do what they want. And we've done the same thing in the church. We've given away our responsibility to others, whether it's a ministry leader, a pastor, uh, the uh, evangelism coordinator. Um, we've said, well, they're the ones that do that. I just maybe throw money at it. And then I don't have to make disciples. I don't actually have to be a part of this messy thing called discipleship because, I, you know, sharing my life with somebody, that's intrusive and that's a lot of work and I have a full-time job and I have kids and I have all these other things. I don't know if I can do that whole discipleship. I'll just focus on my, my nuclear family and I'll just make disciples of my two kids and that'll, that should be enough for me. I'm, I'm fulfilling Jesus' call. I would argue that's just not true. Our whole lives, everything we do, everything we are should be about discipleship and making disciples. It's the general calling we have for us. And to, to think as we encounter people who come in and, and we have, uh, you probably know what I'm talking about, somebody who comes in and it's obvious their life isn't right with Jesus. Like outwardly, you know, we don't have to guess. We just know like, man, there's something going on with that person. They're just not right with Jesus. And we've acted like that person is worse than that person who's attended church for 60 years and they're just the sweetest, nicest person, but they've never made a disciple. In my argument, the person who's weeping at the altar or in their seat over their sin is in a far better place because at least they're intimately aware that standing before Jesus, they need a lot of help. 
and they are broken and they're not accomplishing what God wants for them, that they're failing. And we need to get to that place. If we're a believer and we've not been about making disciples, if we've said, I've been made on purpose, but forget your purpose, God, then we need to be broken before Jesus and realize there is so much more for me. We all have the same general calling. And when we don't live it out, we live in outright rebellion against God, saying, my plans are more important than your plans. Because I know you've called me to make disciples, but you know what? That just doesn't work for me right now. I just don't have space in my life for that right now. You're just going to have to wait, Jesus, for me to do what you want, because my plans come first. One of the things I want us to walk away from this morning understanding is that sins of omission are just as much sin as those of commission. When we neglect to do what God has called us to do, it is just as wrong and sinful as when we purposely and and, and intentionally do something against the will of God. We have been created on purpose and for a purpose. Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 4 says, We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. The Lord has made everything for His own purposes, even the wicked for a day of disaster. We have been made for His own purposes, not our own. And when we put God's purposes on the back burner, we do ourselves a disservice because it's not what we were created for. We have been made on purpose and for a purpose. To deny that purpose is to commit the sin of omission every single day. And some of us wonder why everything we try to do just seems to fail. Everything that we're trying to accomplish just seems to fall apart. And we're constantly being met, hitting a wall repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And we wonder, what is going on? And Jesus just stands there saying, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all my commands as I have done for you. And we say, ah, nah, I really want to get this raised. Nah, I really just have all these other things I want to do. And we wonder why we're constantly met with failure because that's just not our purpose. We've been chasing our own purpose instead of God's purpose for too long. To reject God's plan for our life, not just is wrong, but it's just foolish. Proverbs 19.21 says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. It's His purposes that will prevail. So often ours are going to fail because they're focused on us. We must accept that God has a plan for our lives, and we must live in light of this truth. It is the life that Jesus talks about when he says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's the abundant life. Man, when you're living within your purpose, when you're you're achieving the the things that God has set for us, when we're doing what he, man, it is glorious. It feels so good. It's hard work, and there's a lot of tears, and there's a lot of stuff, and, but man, does it feel good. And I'm not just, what I don't want to confuse this with is saying, well, the Lord's purposes are only full-time ministry in the ways that you view them. Because uh, as you've heard me say, the day that you came to know Christ as your Savior, you entered full-time ministry. Uh, Some people call my role full-time ministry and would call your role not full-time ministry. And I say, that's absolute garbage. You're called to full-time ministry because you never get to not be a Christian. 
You're a Christian full-time, and to be a Christian full-time means to be a disciple-maker full-time, to be God's hands and feet, to be His heart for the, for the people, to be the light of the earth full-time. So we've all entered full-time ministry. The Bible tells us that we have been created anew so we can do the good things that God has planned for us, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We've confused this. We've said, oh, uh, Jesus made me new so that I can be better at my job. Jesus made me new so that I can now be a Christian person who focuses just on themselves. No, no, that's not it at all. He's made us anew so we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. He has a purpose for us. He created us on purpose, and it was for a purpose. We should feel overwhelmingly humbled and excited and maybe a little nervous that God loves us enough to include us in His plans. I've had some conversations with you, some of you these last few weeks have you, as you've been kind of wrestling with some of these ideas and uh, you've been excited, uh, maybe a little humbled, and certainly a, a lot nervous as you begin to ask God, okay, what might this look like? And He's actually answered, begun to answer some of you and made that clear and you're like, oh man, this is, this is ugly. And then, you, then the enemy enters and he starts to convince you like, well, you're really going to mess this up. Man, God had some cool plans for you, but you really dropped the ball we can't. We can't mess his plans up because he sees farther than we see. He takes our mistakes into account when he gives us his plan, when he gives us the purpose. He knows how we're going to fail, and he's just that good that he can take that into account. And so at any, at any moment in our lives, in the, in the darkest places, in, in the heaviest places of our sin, we can turn to him and say, Lord, I'm, I repent, and I want to live your purpose. And he says, perfect, I knew this was going to happen, and I've planned for this. Let's go. That's how good he is. That's the God we serve. He's not saying, oh, man, they made the wrong decision. Oh, they took the wrong job offer. Now my whole plan shot. So many people are going to go to hell now. I just didn't plan for this. That's not who God is. He's just too good for that. It humbles me to know that God has called me to be a part of his plan. And I hope it humbles you as well, especially when we realize that while God has a general purpose and calling for all of us, he also invites us to accomplish it through our unique personal callings and giftedness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 says, However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And then we jump down in Ephesians 4 to 11 and 12. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. We've each been given special gifts to accomplish the many plans that God has for us uh, in our unique giftedness. And to me, it's just like God just keeps piling on the humble love and attention that he gives us. Isn't that amazing that he has 
given each of us such unique personalities, unique giftedness, unique areas of ministry. Each of us has people that we can speak to that other people just can't. We have relationships that, we, that God has given us, that we have certain authority in people's lives. We have certain interests that we have that other people don't share that interest, uh, and we have just so much that God has given us, unique talents and gifts. How many of you took that five-fold ministry test this past week? We sent it out over the app. Uh, if you've never taken it, um, let us, uh, maybe I can send it out again. So just let, let me know and I'll, I'll give you, a, or you can just Google five-fold ministry test. Those of you that took it, you actually have to be vocal here. What results did you get? What was your top? Evangelist. Okay. Two evangelists. Anybody else that took it got anything else? Teacher. Not surprised, Jonathan. Anybody else got a result? I, I don't know. I've, I, I shared it on, on Facebook. I got teacher as well. Um, it's my, definitely my top of, of those five-fold. Uh, those, those things aren't meant to define you or, or you know, pigeonhole you into, into any one thing, but they can be really interesting. One of the things I did was I, I threw mine out over Facebook, and I said, hey, those of you that know me, do you see this in my life? And I did that for a reason, because um, those of you that have taken the five-fold, or if you haven't taken it and you're going to take it, after you take it, ask the people around you, hey, this is what it said. Do you see this in me? And it'll hopefully give you a pretty clear picture of how well you've been living out who you are, the purpose that God has given you. If, if you share that with people and they're like, what? I don't know. Are you sure you took that? Did you take it or did your wife take that for you? Uh, then you know, okay, maybe I've been compartmentalizing my life. Maybe I have a church persona and a work persona and a family persona, and I've only ever lived out my calling in one of those compartments. And God is saying, you need to break down those walls. You need to live out that calling everywhere you go. You need to be that teacher, that evangelist everywhere you go. That's what God has called us to. And so I encourage you, take that test and, and maybe get some clear pictures. Uh, highlight, you know, if you print it out, um, highlight the, the statements that are true about you. Um, and it hopefully can give you some insight into how you've been uniquely wired um, to serve God. Uh, the five-fold test, is, you know, it's been around for a long time. But uh, I think it's really interesting and fascinating to look at and, and see uh, the, the different areas that God has gifted every single one of us. I firmly believe if we all took it, uh, we would fill out all five of those categories, um, not in equal parts, but we have all of those different roles here uh, in this place this morning. So as we read through that, if you took the five-fold test or if you've taken an assessment like that before, why would God go through all the trouble of giving us all such unique personalities, passions, gifts, and interests. Why, would he, why can't we all just be evangelists? You know, we all, we all just have the same gift, and we all go out and we start reaching people for Jesus. Well, Ephesians chapter 4, again, verses 15 and 16, say, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 
Notice, I find this so fascinating, so awesome, this portion of Scripture, because if, if, now, I know I'm not God, I'm not confused, okay, but if I was, and I was writing Scripture, you know, the way I think, the way I process things, I'd be like, well, uh, everybody's gifted, and everybody has all these unique talents, and it's, and it's to, for the progress, it's all about progress, it's all about achieving things, and getting things done, and making things happen, and God is very clear, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So often in Scripture we see this idea of love. That's what the church is meant to be. And it's very evident how we have failed in that and allowed the enemy into our churches when you ask around in the, in, in outside the church and uh, the number one word you get when, when you ask, hey, what do you think of when you hear the word church? And they say judgment. We failed in our pursuit of God. We've allowed the enemy to creep in and get us to uh, act in a way not, not in, in line with how God wants us to act. In the early church, people wanted, that didn't know Jesus, that, that weren't part of the church, they wanted in because of the love that they had for one another. And Scripture even tells us that. They'll know that we're His by the love we have for each other. Love was the goal, that we would be healthy and growing. And so many churches are not healthy because we've given away that proxy. We've said, you know what, I'm not going to live out my, my unique calling. I'm not even going to live out my general calling. I'm just gonna, we're just going to pay a pastor to do it. It's his job. He's the one that's supposed to live out his calling. He's the one that's supposed to do all the work. And we've failed to realize how each and every one of us, the Bible says, we are all priests now in the order of Christ. We've all been called. We're all masterpieces made by God, the creator of all, and he's given each of us all these unique gifts. He's given unique gifts to each and every person. Everyone has unique gifts given to them by the Holy Spirit, and we've all been called to be a part, and it's only when everything is working together that the body is healthy. Now, it's this time of year, well, once the snow stops, it'll be the time of year when we get to have that unique experience of allergies. And I don't know about you, but uh, I'm, I'm not somebody who has a very large nose. Uh, my, my nose is not large, but when only one side of my nose is clogged, it changes my whole day. I don't know about you, but and you can't smell anything, and you just you think back to those days when you could breathe right again, and you, you, you uh, reminisce on the days where you could breathe without making noise and all. And that's just such a small part. When it's not functioning right, you just don't feel healthy. When just one small thing is out of order, it just, the whole, your whole day can be uh, bad. If you I had an ingrown toenail one time, you ever had that experience? Not a large part of your body changes everything. And some of us have somehow convinced ourselves that we're not necessary for the health of this body. That if we just decide we're not going to function today, that it's going to be okay. Any of you ever had your leg fall asleep and then try to get up? Yeah, well, when your leg does, decides that it just doesn't want to function, it's going to affect the whole body. So when we decide that, you know, it's just not important that I live out my calling, or it's just not uh, my time, to live out my calling. I just don't have that space in my, in my calendar. We are making the body unhealthy through our sins of omission. 
with all of its unique giftedness and personalities. When the church is unified and all the parts are functioning as they should, Satan stands no chance against that church wherever it goes. Whatever dark place that church enters, the enemy has no power. Because when that body is functioning at full capacity, when it's living out exactly how God's designed it, it is the most powerful thing that God has created. He, he established the church and he created it for a reason because he knew, man, when that body's functioning, it's like an Olympic athlete that cannot be matched. That's what we've been designed to be. Satan also knows that there is no such thing as an unimportant part of the body of Christ. That doesn't exist. Some of you have already heard the enemy lying to you, saying that your part isn't important. You don't have one of those major functioning parts of the body like other people. I just had, uh, I don't know, I, had, I almost threw my back out. It was pretty bad. And I went over and saw a chiropractor, and uh, it was, we were having conversation, and uh, most of it was fixed, but it wasn't totally fixed, the problem I was having. And uh, even though it was my back, you know, he hit me somewhere up in the neck, and he's like, there's just one little thing I'm going to try. And he's like, it seems completely unrelated, but you have no idea how connected your body is. And I'm like, I don't know, no, no, you guys tell me this every time. Just do whatever you got to do. My back hurts. And he just like a very lightly little tap thing. I don't even know what it is. Uh, I don't even, I don't know scientific names for this stuff, but he just like taps this one part and like my whole lower back just like loosened up. And it seemed like it was such an unimportant thing and like it wouldn't affect, but man, small parts can affect the whole body in such significant ways. And whatever that part was, it just decided it didn't want to function correctly. And so I could barely move. And all it took was that one tiny little part deciding, you know what, I'm going to function in the capacity that I'm supposed to, and the whole body started working again. There are so many churches where that is true, where all it takes is those people who think, my, my part's unimportant. Uh, it's, not, it's not a big deal if I don't show up and, and, and fulfill my role. Man, what a huge impact it has. Something as very important as my entire back for my body to move couldn't function properly because of such a small and unimportant part. If you're feeling this morning like your part doesn't really matter, I encourage you to read verse 16 again. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You have been created on purpose and for a purpose. How are you using your unique gifts, talents, abilities, passions, personalities to help the other parts of the body grow? That's my question I leave you with this morning is how are you deploying those unique gifts, your unique role in the kingdom to see the church grow, to see the kingdom of God expand, and to take back the darkness that exists in this world. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. What does it look like for you to live a life worthy of your calling? I can't tell you that. I can help you process through that. If you need some help, uh, let's meet. Let's talk. 
Let's, let's dialogue. Some of you have already done that multiple times, and I love it. I love to see people empowered into their unique giftedness. I've told you before, one of my main roles, one of the main things, I, I have a pretty good clarity on, uh, on my purpose, and that's part of my purpose is helping other people unlock their purpose and helping them process through how has God uniquely gifted me and, and speaking into people's life and empowering them to achieve their unique purpose. So please reach out. You will not be a burden to me. It makes me come alive to be able to do that, to enjoy that conversation and that aspect. So this morning we get to celebrate three new people joining this body that uh, my prayer is always that we would continue to function well and that we would continue to be healthy and full of love. Today we get to celebrate three new people. But I want to make it clear, baptism isn't what made them a part of the family of God. It's simply the celebration of their salvation. And so in just a few moments, um, they're going to come up and we get, to, we get to celebrate this. And what I want you to do is, as the worship team comes forward, come on up, worship team. Uh, as they are coming up here, I want you to, want you to pray and wrestle as, as this song plays. Uh, it's quite a fitting song uh, to think about what would it be to surrender everything, to surrender our work, to surrender our families, to surrender our lives, to surrender our unique giftedness? What would it look like to do that as part of this body? What would that be? What aspect, what part of this healthy body growing and being full of love, what part do I serve? What does that look like? You've all been called to be a part of the body. You've all been called to make disciples, and you've each been called in a unique way to accomplish that. So what does that look like and what might God be calling you to? I encourage you to wrestle with that as you listen to the song. And those of you that are getting baptized, now is your time to go get changed and then make your way to the front. If you want to stand while we do this, you're welcome to stand. If you'd like to sit and just uh, reflect while we sing this song, it's also fine, however you want to worship right now.
And with Jesus, it's about a relationship. It's about a confession of faith. Just like uh, there was a day where I stood before a pastor and Jackie, and I said, I do. Uh, there was a confession. There were, there were vows that were exchanged in, in the sight of God, and, uh, and we made vows there. And, and so uh, there's this act of salvation where we accept God's gift. We admit that we need Him. We acknowledge our brokenness before Him. We confess our sin uh, we make an active uh, decision to follow him, and we begin a relationship. Uh, and that's kind of part of the problem that I kind of see with some people, is they make that confession, and then they never actually enter a relationship with Jesus. They simply say that they uh, want to be a Christian. And, and there have, I'm sure you probably know somebody who has said, 
I'm married, but they do not act like it. They don't show love to their spouse. They don't invest in the relationship. Uh, they do things outside of that. And um, they don't act, certainly don't act married. They don't act on the relationship. And that's what salvation is. It's a relationship with Jesus. But every day since I said I do to my wife, I put this ring on. And it's to communicate to the world I belong to someone. There is one person whom I belong to, and that her name is Jackie. Um, and so when we're baptized, it's very similar. It's like the celebration of saying, I now belong to someone, and his name is Jesus. And so baptism doesn't save you. It's not like if I didn't wear a wedding ring, it wouldn't mean I wasn't married anymore. Uh, I would still be married, but it just wouldn't communicate as clearly to the world that I, uh, I belong to somebody. I'm taken. And so that's what baptism is. It's that celebration of what has happened in, in these three individuals' lives. They've come to know Jesus as their Savior, and uh, he has done that work previously. That's part of the process of being baptized is we have that conversation. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? What does that look like? What did it look like before? What does it look like now? What is that relationship all about? If you ever want to know about my marriage with Jackie, you can just ask, and I'll tell you all about the relationship we have. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm excited about it, and I can tell you any day what we're currently doing to develop that relationship, and that's how it should be with Jesus as well. Uh, but there is that celebration, that acknowledgement, we belong to someone. And so this morning, uh, the three individuals I've, I've talked, I've I spent time in conversation with each of them, um, talking about their, their walk with God, what does that look like, when did they come to know Christ, and, and making sure we all have a proper understanding of what baptism is. It's not sealing salvation. It's like if, if they passed away before uh, they got baptized, we still go to heaven. It's not part of salvation, but it is an obedience factor. It's to say, I'm going to be obedient to Christ. Just like Jackie, uh, if she asked me to wear this ring, I would obediently wear it because I love her and there's a relationship. And so uh, once we come to know Christ, we obediently make that step of baptism and we're baptized to say, I belong to Jesus. So uh, I love baptism services. To me, they're so powerful. They're so amazing. Just the same way that some of you love going to weddings and you love that, that moment of, of declaration. You love to celebrate the wedding. To me, baptism is very similar to that. And I just love to get to celebrate this with the, the individuals who are here this morning. So without further ado, Russ, come on up. Don't forget your towel, sir. It's a long, cold walk back. They told me the tank was warm. They lied. So <laughs> prepare yourself. Well, that's not too bad. Wait till you get in. Oh. <laughs> it's a little chilly. <laughs> you want to bear with me while I get my glasses out here? Um, I have spent most of my Christian life wanting to believe that I'd accepted Christ as my Savior. However, I hadn't accepted him as my Lord. I was living in a cycle of unrepentant sin. I was having a lot of conviction about the different masks that I wore in different situations in my life. I knew that I needed to become one authentic Christian living throughout all of my all aspects of my life. This led me to realize what true repentance is. Instead of abusing God's grace and convincing myself that it was okay, that God would forgive me, I've come to realize that I needed to repent, to receive the Holy Spirit and be baptized. 
I'm surrendering to the Lord. I've come to understand that the issues of my value were settled at the cross. My identity is in Christ. That is, is who I am. Um, with baptism, when I'm submerged, that's the death of the old me. I will emerge from the water, born again, a new creation in Christ. I will praise the Lord and celebrate my adoption into his family, walking in true freedom, increasing intimacy with God, sharing the love of God with all people, doing the right thing for the right reason, accepting that he is enough for all my needs, walking by faith, combating fear, following the teachings of Jesus, and submitting to God's plan for my life in humility. Sanctification is a process that I will perfect the day after I die. When I meet Jesus, I will hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. I desire nothing more than that. Uh. All right, now what do we do? So, well, I just want to say uh, I've been spending uh, the last few weeks, months with, with Russ walking the process. Now, Russ has been baptized before, but just as some of you have done in your life and you've renewed your vows, uh, that's very uh, similar to the act that Russ is taking today to say, uh, I've strayed, I've walked away from the vows I've made to Jesus. And I want to recommit that today in this way. And so uh, I was excited when Russ reached out and excited to, to take this step with Russ. Um, so if you want to take a step back here, I'm going to try not to drop you in the tank. All right. All right? Hand, oh, that's right. Hand, hand, hand. Yes, okay. All right. Well, Russ, based on your confession of faith and your walk with Jesus, knowing that you have received Jesus as your Savior and you have every intention of walking with him the remainder of your life, I want to baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love that we brought the kids up here for the baptism. Thank you, children's workers. I love that you get to see what God is doing in people's lives in this act of baptism. What an amazing thing. Uh, next, uh, we have Wynette. If you want to make your way on up here, Wynette. I've had the privilege of getting to know Wynette a little bit. We had a conversation uh, this week, and 
just chatting about what it means to be a Christian, to walk with Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, and uh, made it very evident and clear that Wynette most definitely has a relationship with Jesus, and she knows him as her Savior. And she wanted to take the step of baptism, and so I was excited to uh, be able to process through that with her and uh, to get to know a little bit more of her story and her walk with Jesus. And so uh, I've just been blessed by that, and I know that God has great plans for you, Wynette, and I, th- I know that he's going to do great things in your life. And so uh, not everybody's a public speaker, so you, just so you know, you don't have to speak when you come up here. I told Wynette it was, it was perfectly okay uh, to not have to speak because it is a, a pretty nervous thing. So uh, I'm just excited for you, Wynette, and what God's going to do in your life. So you want to drop those there? I'm going to move these back here. so that Just one more step. All right. Well, based on your confession of faith, faith, Wynette, and your acknowledgement that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and your desire to walk with him all the days of your life, I baptize you in his name. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love it. Thank you for clapping. I didn't even give you that instruction, but thank you for doing that because it certainly is an awesome celebration this morning. We have one last person to come up and be baptized. Very similar to Wynette, uh, I got to know Heather recently. My wife and I had the privilege of spending uh, t- some time over lunch and a meal, uh, getting to know uh, Heather and her story and what God has done in her life. And uh, uh, it was a great conversation, great time, man. God has done some cool things in Heather's life. If you don't know Heather, um, there's a thing called lunch, uh, and I would encourage you to share that with her. Uh, maybe share a meal and get to know her a little bit. Um, it's, it's always, to me, uh, awesome. One of my favorite things is hearing people's stories and, and knowing what God has done. Because each of us are on... Uh, just like what we talked about today, a unique journey, and each one of us has a unique story, and God is, is doing unique things in each of our lives. Uh, and so I definitely confirmed that uh, Heather does know Jesus Christ as her Savior, uh, and she seeks to make him her Lord as well. And so she wanted to be baptized to make that commitment official uh, before Jesus. So there we go. Based on your confession of faith, uh, knowing that you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior and your desire to walk with him all the days of your life, I want to baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you have a question? Because it's very comfortable. Uh, Because Jesus himself was baptized in water, uh, when he was baptized by a man named John the Baptist, that's why we call him John the Baptizer, and Jesus was baptized in water, they dunked them in, and uh, what it means is it's signifying our death, 
to Christ. What happens when someone dies? We bury them. And so the going under the water is signifying that someone is dying to themselves. And when they come out of the water, it's signifying they're being raised in Christ. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Probably a little more than you wanted to know, huh? You ask, I answer. So, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you all for celebrating this uh, awesome, momentous moment with each of these people. I encourage you to congratulate them. Uh, welcome them into the family of God. Like I said, this doesn't bring them into the family. It's simply the celebration that they are part of the family, and they have made that commitment to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness in our lives. Lord, I thank you for what you have done. Lord, I pray that every single person that walks through these doors would know you as their Savior and be baptized to acknowledge they belong to you, that you are the love of their life, and they will spend the rest of their life honoring that commitment by living uh, in a way that honors you and continues to build that relationship. Lord, I thank you for how much you love us and for all that you're going to do in our lives. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would feel the weight of being a unique part of what you're doing in this world, that we would acknowledge there is a general calling on our life and we each are uniquely gifted in a way uh, that you have given to us that we are to serve and to be a part of building up the church and ensuring that the church is healthy and growing and full of love. Would this be a church that is healthy, growing, and full of love. Thank you for all that you are doing, Jesus, in our midst, and I pray we would each walk in step with you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you, and have a great day.